Uh, this is Norman Spinrad, and this is Sci-Fi Saturday Night, and I'm pleased to be here, and we'll be back here with you soon, or immediately right now. Okay. <laughs> We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. Believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good morning, evening, or whatever time it actually is when you're listening to this. And welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast that guarantees if you listen, you get to hear stuff. This week in episode 458, that's right, 458, we're going to take a walk to the edge of the world and uh, talk with people who are in love with the same guy I fell in love with years in my teenage years, Philip K. Dick. So let's let's see how that works out. Uh, we're still in our pandem- pandemic uh, show mode. So uh, because of the need for social distancing, the clogging of the interweb and and the whole world is on the web. So it's difficult to get a solid signal anywhere. Uh, We're once again using a paired back cast and hoping for the best or whatever. Uh, So we get a shitty signal at some point and we do the best we can with it. Um, What that means is that at some point, Captain Cam will get used to my taunts and then he'll have to be removed. Uh, in the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, it's just Captain Cam who's been keeping me uh, off the edge of the roof all day today uh, for various reasons because the world has become just freaking stupid. And it gets stupider by the moment. And and, and I, I, Cam, I can't cope with it anymore. I don't know about you, but when science isn't real... And reality isn't science. I, I, I just want to punch somebody in the throat, but I'm not legally allowed to do that anymore. And and uh. so how's the putting game going, Chip? It's going exceedingly well. You know, I, th- I think that I will be ready. Come spring, I will be back on the tee again. And, you know, you know, I will be wearing that, you know, slightly off green jersey for the you know, when I win the Amer- U.S. Championship for miniature golf. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, by the way, my cyborg implants seem to have healed properly, uh, and, and and I get a I get a message at 2 a.m. that says I have been properly assimilated. I was I was informed of that by. <laughs> so by you, found poli- <laughs> you found some polite. You found some polite Borg out there. Yes, there was a very polite. <laughs> she looked at me and she goes, you're, you're, you're not very happy about this, are you? And I said, I have been assimilated. And she went, oh, we're going to do that, are we? And I said, yeah, we're going to do that. 
So <laughs> it is what it is. And we're moving on anyway. Uh, so it's 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 the dome and and Chip, the former uh, uh, miniature PGA champion, who's uh, on rebound from a bad putting green injury. <laughs> um, tonight um, was supposed to be a really fun night when we got to talk about some really fun stuff happening in 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 France. Uh, with, with uh, a very fun friend of the show who's been on with us a number of times, but the world's gone to shit. <laughs> and uh, what what should have been a fun night has has been a fun scramble to figure shit out uh, for the the European version this year of the Philip K. Dick Film Festival, and it's just. I can't imagine how he's done it. Um, if it was me, I would be knee deep in bottles of scotch, which I can't be because my doctors won't allow it. Joining us tonight is is a man who uh, we've come to love here on the show, Dan Abella. Dan, thank you once again for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. And Dan, I know you're in New York. The PKD Film Festival is uh, a European version is happening in the Paris area in the coming weeks. You're kind of running it from New York City, and that's got to be driving you nuts. Well, you know, luckily... We have a, uh, since year one, we partner up with the club uh, managers and uh, staff. So um, you could say it's almost been a turnkey operation since year one. Uh, we do some of the marketing here on our end, and they do a lot of the marketing on their end and getting the word out. Uh, so my job all these years has been to essentially uh, send them out the uh, program, the curated films, and um, discuss specific timetables and coordinate with directors so they can show up for a Q&A. So even though I'm doing it, we're running it from 4,000 miles away, it's no no different than if I was there right now, at least in terms, <laughs> of, in terms of this setup. There are some uh, last-minute changes that we'll talk about soon. But other than that, it's been – actually, it's been a pretty straightforward process. The coolest thing for me is that in 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 the I don't even want to say post-COVID world because we're 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 damn in the middle of wave two in Europe right now and things are just cresting on wave two in 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 the center of Europe right while you're trying to have this and we'll talk about what that has meant to whatever changes have had to be made to the film festival to make it still happen. Um, but the the kind of films that you've brought to the festival this year, the uh, the quality of the films, once again, are just knock you on your ass, beautiful stuff going on. Uh, how many films, uh, again, did you have to go through to get two days worth of just really beautiful stuff out there? Well, uh, 
some of the films that we're actually showing, we showed at the PKD Festival here in New York back in March. And uh, that really comprised the bulk of the submissions with, with over 1,000 uh, films. Uh, for Europe, it's smaller simply because uh, we usually pig a tail on this festival. We have maybe a couple of hundred submissions that were sent specifically for uh, the European uh, festival. Uh, but it's always uh, very labor intensive. Uh, we make sure every, sim every single film gets seen by at least two judges. And uh, at the end of the day, I take a quick look, make sure there are no surprises, and, um, and we're good to go. I mean, because I've got to tell you, in looking at some of these films, when you say make sure there are no surprises, uh, every one of these films that I've had the chance to look at was a blow me away surprise. An right. absolute blow me away surprise. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat through films at the PKD Festival with just that happening. So, I mean, you know, there are those festivals where you go to and you go, well, here's what I expect at this kind of a festival. You know, here's the kind of film where I'm going to see this kind of a thing. And that's not what happens here. That's not what happens here at all. To the point where um, I saw one of the last films that I was going to get to see for the festival, uh, for this festival, uh, this morning. And I just kind of went, son of a bitch. <laughs> and, and and I'll even tell you what the film was. The film was called, uh, and it's it's in, I think it's in the Friday, the Friday night run. It is. Uh, yep. And it's, and it's called Hashtag. And it's yes. an American film. And it's the European continental premiere. And it's uh, directed by Ben Alpe. That's cool. Uh, and it's and it stars. Uh, oh, gosh, what's her name? What is her name? Help me out here, Cam. Gigi Edgley. That's the young lady. And it's it's um, in watching it for the first time. Uh, I just kind of went, this is not only sp a speculative uh, dystopian future. It is so close to a future that's existing right now uh, in, in a lot of society. It is oh, yeah. so close to, the, to, to that razor's edge that we're at uh, in, in, in a lot of... Uh, a lot of high tech countries and immediately South Korea came to mind where uh, there is a culture of uh, that that kind of technology that exists and thrives and survives the way this movie is set up. And I just kind of went, holy shit, there we are. We're there We're we're one razors cut we're one paper slice away from it and uh it just kind of went wow um and this is this is what blows me away with what you guys find what you guys curate what you guys uh work with and and and, and bring forward on a yearly basis um so let's talk a little bit about you know uh what it what it's like for you guys 
well, do this you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, we, when it comes to selecting our sci-fi films, one of the features we look for are uh, sci-fi just that is literally science that is just around the corner, or maybe that, or maybe that is currently being developed. So uh, we, I like to refer to this process as a near sci-fi uh, curating uh, or near future curating. So a lot of the films that we program are essentially what the world's going to look like not 100 or 200 years or 500 years into the future what's going to look like 10 years from now at the current rate of the, uh, technological development so and we're really very happy that some of these things are, uh, are well we're happy in the sense we, we we hit it on the spot but we're not so happy as, as to the implications uh for instance um you remember um, Scanner Darkly? No, that wasn't Scanner Darkly. Minority Report. And Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the first, actually, one of the first films directed by uh, one of the films directed by Sp Steven Spielberg, where it featured these sort of uh, this new kind of technology, the sliding uh, windows technology. But what what I found interesting is that right now, in many parts of the country, say Florida, for instance, there's certain uh, counties where they're, they, they've created a pre-crime uh, pre unit where they start profiling people and uh, based upon uh, AI algorithms that determine who is more likely to commit a crime in the next 24 hours or the next week, the next month. That's already happening now. And uh, so uh, that's really what we're shoot for, films that really... They have almost a predictive quality. They have a strong sentient quality of what the future is going to look like five or ten years from now. And really, based upon what a lot of what Philip K. Dick has done, really, it's it's really it's, it's very prophetic. I mean, I'm here in New York City, and uh, economically, a lot of small businesses are are doing very poorly. Many of them have shut down. But guess what? Bezos and Amazon and Google, they're right, they're, their stock's right through the roof. Bezos' private fortune is over $200 billion. So I'm saying, what film does this remind me of? What corporation, very famous corporation, does this remind me of? And I'm thinking Blade Runner. And you know, yep. I remember the Tyrell Corporation is the biggest corporation in the world. He's doing very well, surrounded by androids and where well the rest of the world it's it's having a having a hard time so we're not that far away from the blade runner universe so much uh discussed and uh you know talked about in um in the film and also in, in the novella no no we're not that far away from it at all we're getting you know, closer and closer but, but, in, but in some ways as we're recording now we're we're, we're very close to 18 days away from it. But that's a whole story for another show. Well, I, I would say those people who are familiar with Philip K. Dick and understand his message are probably more immune to the derangement syndromes that we're, many are experiencing during this period of time. Uh, because one thing that runs through almost all his works is this idea is despite technology and politics and culture wars attempting to rob us of our humanity, we still have something inside of us that we can hold on to dearly. And uh, a lot of Philip K. Day characters are like you and I. You know, we're not, they're not, we're not, uh, you know, uh, 
Terminator type or Schwarzenegger or Arnold, um, Tom Cruise, where people, you know, dealing with how do we, how can we remain human and empathic in a world that's uh, bent on uh, the, do, stripping try, try that away from us? Sense what the fuck is going on? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. And the one thing that a lot of people don't often give credit uh, to Philip K. Dick is his insistence on critical thinking. Uh, as, as you well know, back in 1974, he had an, a, a mystical, or some people might refer to it as a mystical experience, or maybe a psychotic breakdown, depending upon what school of thought you're coming from. But Philip K. Dick never, to his credit, um, settled in any one interpretation. He always kept asking, well, what if this is the answer? What if this is the answer? So he was not pulled in by any one uh, version of reality. Understanding that reality may be much larger than, uh, than the attempt of any one mind to fully comprehend. And that's something that all of us should be more aware of, that despite we might have ideological, political, and scientific differences, that we still need to, even for a second, understand where the other person is coming from, what is that motivates that person, and where what is there, where, where, where we can create points of commonality, of shared understanding, instead of, you know, being at each other's throats for one reason or another. I mean, I was thinking 20 years ago, this country really wasn't that political. I mean, yeah, we had a little uh, Clinton, Lewinsky, and, and Europe was super political. It's always been. But the tide has changed now where everybody holds very strong political and cultural opinions. But at the expense of shutting down the opposition, that is dialogue from the opposition. So that's something that critic, uh, Philip K. Dick would have encouraged more, more dialogue between opposing parties and, and trying to understand, okay, where, where do we go from here? And, and within that, I would say is the issue of empathy, and it's so, which is so critical, and I think that's so much lacking uh, in today's uh, in today's um, dialogue and uh, discourse. Do you do you find that the work that the contextual levels of work that that Philip K. Dick tried to bring out are more accessible in Europe than they are in the U.S. these days? Well, I think through technology, more people probably are getting Philip K. Dick because of the technology that he is uh, that he talks about so much in his work. Is becoming a reality. Uh, Philip, K. Dick, Philip K. Dick, while he was alive, uh, had a strong affinity to uh, France. Uh, he took a lot of his inspiration from uh, uh, Proust, from Faulkner, from um, Balzac, from uh, 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 other no other 19th century novelists. So even while alive, the only trip he ever made to Europe was to France. And that's in 1977. And that's where he unveiled his theory that we all live in a computer-generated reality. <laughs> so um, much to the dismay and consternation of the press uh, listening in. So, uh, but uh, he, he had, yeah, I mean, I think that he had a real affinity for European literature because his ca the characters, see, the science fiction of Philip K. Dick is not uh, heavy with effects and, and, and jargon. It, it's... It's, it, there is some of that, but there's also about the, the human component. And there are all those themes that seem to return back to the fourth. What does it mean to be human? 
Who are we? What is the nature of reality? They always are recurring. They're always all part of the same uh, because apparently these are themes that were very important to him. And these are themes that could easily be addressed by philosophical or uh, or, or even literary. Uh, but Philip K. Dick did it within the framework of science fiction, and I think he did it very well. Uh, my early, when, when I started getting into Philip K. Dick, I started reading his latest stuff by accident. Uh, Valis was like the, literally the very first book that I picked up. Uh, Valis, depending upon it. And I started reading backwards to, say, Man in the High Castle, which was back in the late 50s. So, um, yeah, I think that today he's from the films that we get. It seems like almost anywhere most people around the world have heard of him and they really love they love his work and they love what he stands for. And there was a certain humanity uh, that that shows across Philip K. Dick. Yes, the man had some uh, fears and suffered different kinds of social phobias, but this certain humanity that comes through. This is the kind of guy that you get a sense that you could sit down and have a beer or a coffee and talk for hours about different themes, not just science fiction, but literary, philosophical. And and that's for one reason I think that he's almost like a, a living uh, a, a person to me. It's not just a, a, someone who died over 30 years ago, but it really reflects sort of almost like a Renaissance style type of writer. Not just, if you, look, if you look at a lot of the sci-fi of today, and it's good sci-fi, but that tends to be either very technological or focused on one aspect of of, uh, of that sub of that genre whereas philip k dick would talk about reincarnation he would talk about telepathy talk about uh, uh you know a dystopic universe so uh, there were no no limits to how the kind of themes that he was um taught that he was uh exploring and, and i think that for those who are sci-fi filmmakers or writers out there I would definitely suggest that um, not just read not just read sci-fi, but read philosophy, read literature, read culture, because that's where you're going to start. You're going to create that, that cross-pollinating current that will make your the sci-fi so much more vibrant than just what what rocket. are the things that, yeah. that yeah. people don't realize <clears throat> is when they look at Blade Runner. First of all, it depends on which version of Blade Runner you look at. Right. That's <laughs> because there that's are, I true. believe, seven different versions of, of Blade Runner out there right now. Mm -hmm. But when you look at Blade Runner, then you have to go back and look at its genesis, which is a book called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Right. Then when you put that Genesis up against the book, what you realize is one tenth of the book is the movie Blade Runner, and right. you're missing 90% of the book, which is never even remotely uh, touched in that movie. And right. then you have to ask the question, why? And the answer to that is simple because there's no damn room for it. So is there eight or nine more movies that could be made from that very small volume, from that very small novel? And I think the answer is yes. If somebody really wanted to take the time to do it, absolutely. 
and the same is true of virtually every one of his real novels is that there's there's level upon level upon level of of philosophical complexity to them what i love is that your mind takes those conceptual complexities and drops it into the idea of this festival in terms of all these different films at all these different levels doing all these different things at all these different speeds uh some for as small as like four minutes and five minutes some for a half an hour 45 minutes an hour and going well here you go guys let's have some fun with your brain and uh it really, um, if you're willing to sit there for for two days and just kind of let it all sink in and talk to the person sitting next to you and enjoy how their mind reacts to it as well as how your mind reacts to it, this is one hell of a different film festival than you're used to. Yeah, I, I, I see the festival as a platform or we can explore the intersection of different cultural uh, domains, uh, science, science fiction, philosophy, literary analysis, critical theory, and so on. Not just showing uh, random sci-fi, but films that are united by these common themes that are have been addressed from, philosophically, historically, literary for, th- by th- for thousands of years. And for instance, I will give you a perfect example. Back in 20, I believe 2018, uh, I had a festival. I'm not sure we covered it, but that was the, uh, it was at the Soho Playhouse. And there I had uh, one panel on remote viewing uh, on the Ingo and the Ingo Swan story, which is, uh, for those who don't know, Ingo Swan was an artist, but he also actually happened to work, was hired by um, the CIA back in the 1970s as part of an ex- a, a project to to basically spy or use his, uh, use his mind alone to access intelligence from uh, operations taking place thousands of, I mean, thousands of, uh, thousands of miles away. It was remote Using viewing. remote viewing, yes. Right. He, right. he was one of the first remote viewers. And uh, so we had a panel. We had... Uh, and so one of them, one of the panelists was Jacques Vallée. Now Jacques Vallée is a very famous um, writer, uh, ufologist. He's actually known uh, for those who've seen *Close Encounter of the Third Kind*. He Jacques Vallée is played by um, Francois, Francois Truffaut in that film. He plays this French scientist that time, and uh, Jacques Vallée is a good friend of Sp- Steven Spielberg and. They Spielberg thought of bringing him in, and uh, obviously an actor, because uh, what Jacques Vallée offers is to make the whole idea of ufology of ET contact that much real. So we have Jacques Vallée there. We had uh, Al Pudoff, who worked with Ingo Swan back in the early 70s. And, and, and we had other panelists as well. So what I find interesting is that last year, we have, uh, there's a... Uh, an organization called TTSA, To the Stars Academy, and that's headed by um, a group of uh, 
scientists, one of one of which one of which is Hal Putoff, and he's working on exploring the um, mechanics or, or biomechanics of the UFO phenomenon. I'm not talking about extraterrestrials. I'm talking about what is what are the let's say the Tic Tac incident, which was reported in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is that some kind of drone? Is that from some other country? It seems to have, seems to defy aerodynamic uh, principles. So he's studying that, and and this is his company. So I find it very interesting. Just a year before, he was here. We are talking with him and Jacques Vallée about Ingo Swan. So it is it is kind of a cultural transmission, an osmosis, you would almost say, that goes on, um, and at our festival. And I I find that very very rewarding because. See, people think, well, the festival is only three days and then off you go. But no, I think it continues in some sort of current. It gener- generates a current for people so they can take it to other other parts of their life. And um, and it's very rewarding when you see people who have, uh, you know, who are doing some cool things, you know, and almost sci-fi-ish in nature. And that's really what <laughs> what we, what we, well, we're not... You see, I think that the, the the issue is that we don't really have we don't believe in distinctions and like I find some people who are in sci-fi they actually don't believe in UFOs. That's no, no, that's just sci-fi. Okay, but you see, we want to create an environment where you can just step in from the sci-fi fantastic mode into a panel that really is exploring the UFO phenomena because we we are we're encouraging that kind of open-mindedness. That's so critical because I see sci-fi, a lot of it as the science of the future. So instead of dismissing it as, oh, well, this is just fantasy, why don't we just treat it as a as a subject of study of a, a kind of a thought experiment, like the one that Einstein had back in 19 in the in the late 1800s when he how did it, how that one beam of light looked while he's traveling on another beam of light. So the, our whole festival is like a giant thought experiment on the nature of science, the future in science fiction. And I th- and I think, you know, we, we just kind of walk that line, you, you walk that edge uh, with these movies and uh, give us glimpses into possibilities. Um, what I wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I wonder about is what special kinds of issues came about because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic in Europe right now that you had to deal with. Okay, well, originally our festival was scheduled for uh, um, seven from 7 to 11 p.m. or 7 to midnight. Saturday, October 30th, and Friday, I'm sorry, Friday, October 30th, and Saturday, October 31st. Uh, And last week, I learned that the uh, French government, along with other governments in Europe, they're imposing curfews. And one of the one of the decrees is that uh, no establishments are open past 9 p.m. Basically, everybody's got to be at home by that time. So I made a quick call to the manager, one of the officers of the festival, and uh, said, why don't we break it up? Instead of having the festival in two days, we'll do it over four days. So 
uh, at least people still get a watch, get a chance to see the film. So we've decided we're rolling back the time when it opens up. It opens up now at 7 p.m. and it runs till 8:30, and it, we're gonna do this four nights in a row. Well, uh, October 30th, October 31st, November 5th, and November 7th. So all the films that are programmed will still get a chance to be screened live, not virtual, but live. Um, obviously, those who are interested in attending will need to uh, be aware that there is a maximum of only about 50 people or somewhere. Usually it's like 300, but due to social distance regulations, uh, they're capping it at 50. But I think that's it's important to have within the law, we go, you know, have have events that are live because one thing that concerns me is the uh, the, pre- the virtualization of all our interactions and human nature being inert by you know unfortunately uh, gets used to that. So yeah, there are some people that will step back out of that and go into a live setting, but I'm afraid there'll be some people. People who will just continue to live virtually. Uh, kind of reminds me of that Bruce Willis film called Avatar. Uh, no, no, Surrogate. I'm sorry. Back it came out in the early 2000, where um, it, it takes place in a world where everybody's at home and they all the interactions, food, shopping, everything take place through their uh, virtual avatar. And um, I bet you there's some companies that would like that to make that would like to make that a reality. You know. Um, so that's the one thing that we are, um, also we usually do another festival in Germany and, uh, this, unfortunately we're not doing the one in Germany this year for the same reason. The, um, except in Germany, the, the, the guidelines are even stricter. So, but we are doing it there and there will be an opportunity for people who are there to watch it and, and enjoy, uh, these films. So it's not just a... On entertainment, but I feel it's also a uh, a stand. We're taking a stand against this progressive dehumanization that's being foisted upon us, and we so gotta take. So there's not be any way to attend it virtually at all, then. No, no, there is no way to attend it. Uh, see, all the films that we submit were submitted directly to them, and by the time we decided, okay, let's do it virtually, we were thinking about it, but it's. It's at this point a little bit too uh, too late for that. Um, so I know a lot of festivals are going that direction, and that's something that I will definitely add uh, to future festivals, uh, a virtual component. You know, Ho- hoping that it never becomes a necessity. <laughs> I hope hope it doesn't. Yeah, I hope it doesn't. It's, it's certainly. It just... I, I think that at some point by next year. And hopefully by the time our New York festival. Yes. Uh, I'm sure Very that will. Much. Yeah, because yeah, we're looking at May. So hopefully by then May, there'll be definitely, there'll still be probably some limits as to how close people can sit next to each other. But at least they'll be open. I do know this, that the Museum of the Moving Image, where we held our festival back in March, it's currently open. So I'm sure by then we'll be able to work some sort of arrangement with them. We'll still be able to screen the films and and uh, and there. But we're also going to add that virtual component as well, uh, in case, especially for those who are not. See, a lot of filmmakers are not thrilled with having their films shown uh, 
you know, by a computer, especially if they're feature filmmakers. But Underst I think and understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So but I do think now that uh, things have changed so much, they're much more flexible about that, um, that uh, that we OK, well, show it for a short run um, through, you know, whatever platform that we have. And that's understandable. I don't, don't want anybody to just jump in and watch it. And in fact, there's even a term called geo-blocking uh, that's being used by festivals. So certain geographies are allowed to watch the festival, but not the whole world. So oh, yeah, say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, so that's, there's, always, there's always technology being one step ahead of where you think you are. So Yeah. <clears throat> So we really are, are not too worried about it. I think come May, we'll be a, uh, in a much better position. And luckily, uh, we have, we were able to watch, show the whole, we'll have a festival, a live festival. We were literally like the last guys out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, because the following week, as you know, there was, that's when the, lock, the, the hardcore lockdown took place. Tribeca was canceled. Some, uh, all these other, uh, of course, later on, the, later on, Con and other festivals were canceled. So we were one of the few ones here in New York City to actually have it live. And that was great. Um, uh, that, that weekend, which was, I believe, March, the the second weekend in March just passed. So we're hoping, hopefully, we'll, there'll be no gaps. And, we'll, and the next festival, here, at least in New York, will be a, uh, will still be live, you know, but event with a virtual component attached to it, you know. That sounds, you know, like, like, uh, a breath of normalcy. <laughs> well, that's the key thing. I think a lot of people are so burnt out or tired or by all this and these continuous lockdowns and 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 the stories and the changing their minds and there there literally is a that's one thing about they always accused Philip K. Dig of being a little paranoid, but you know in my book, paranoid a little bit of paranoia never kills anybody. You never. It really you Paranoia have to be open. It's always healthy. It's always healthy because uh, there for, for for instance, you know, I um uh you, you know as, as many of us you know are often amazed by the power of smartphones and also the ability of some people to be glued like some sort of machine to connect it. And then I I come across this program on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And I was not surprised to find out that they indeed engineer this entrainment technology. So you, the reason these, especially very young people, are like glued to it is because that's how it's set up. It's been designed to, and this is not just by happenstance, but it's been engineered uh, and based upon uh, developments in neural marketing. So uh, entrainment technology is there. It's very in the background. Uh, and it's designed to be that way, so we don't fight against it. But it kind of—I cannot help but thinking, but think about that old film from mid '70s, *The Parallax View*. With, yep. Uh, Warren Beatty, great film, right? And so we have something that exists, but far more advanced than what they had back then, you know. Um, so it's there, and um, the, it goes under a different name. For instance, after the 1995 program on remote viewing uh, hosted by Ted, Cop Ted Koppel came out, basically exposing that the army had a military had a, a program that lasted over 20 years. They claimed 
that the program since 1995 disappeared or was kept. But in fact, I've been reading some articles, as we just said, which just went under a different name. Now it's called sense making. It's basically the same thing. Um, so a lot of what, what Philip K. Dick talks about in his novels and 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 all and, and seen some of his movies is that all of us have special skills. And we don't have names, so we don't have a a kind of a uh, these skills might appear to be uh, very unusual, supernatural, but in fact that's part of our heritage, and some people do have that. Um, for instance, uh, I was talking with a military, a veteran, uh, a colonel in the in Vietnam, and he says, "Book back in the '60s, there there were you got the point men were sent out to lead the charge, but they were not sent out because arbitrarily." They sent out because these men almost had a sixth sense as to where was a landmine, uh, where, where where to avoid putting your feet. So the military is often accused of being very conservative, but there are groups within it that understand the power of intelligence, in intel. And if intel means reading tarot cards or dowsing or remote viewing, so be it, as, as well as as good intel. And that's I think that's a good attitude to have. You don't need to have a, a scientific explanation for every little thing you experience. As long if you're experiencing it on an ongoing basis, hey, use it. You know. So yeah, it's, um, it's funny because years years ago, years ago, and this is God, maybe 15 years ago, uh, I interviewed John Ronson, uh, oh, and he, yeah. he had just finished the book, uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. That's right. Uh, which was uh, a kind of overview of the Pentagon's uh, efforts during both the Second World War and the Vietnam War to uh, parapsychology, psychological warfare efforts uh, of remote remote viewing and uh, that kind of stuff and. Uh, it was an interesting interview. I'll, I'll grant you that much. Uh, like I said, it was almost 20 years ago, so right. uh, there wasn't that much. Uh, how can I put it? People looked at it more as a curiosity at that point right. than yeah. anything else. Sure. Nowadays, not so much. Because uh, there, there's an awful lot of declassified material to back up a lot of the claims that were hidden away at that point. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there is uh, it, it often, unfortunately, like almost every field that is not subject to strong scrutiny, um, there are always going to be people out there who will make claims that they cannot back up. But within the remote viewing protocols, there were specific uh, observances of at some point you got to know if you were a hit, you got a hit or not. So uh, you actually had to have someone go to the site and verify. For instance, I'm remote viewing that what's, what uh, say uh, someone has been kidnapped and I'm trying to remote view. At some point you're going to find out, well, how effective was, was your remote viewing? However, what some remote viewers have done since then, they're making claims that they can never prove. Oh, like, well, you know, did you know that in the in, in Europa, 
there are aliens who live there on the well yeah you'll never be able to go there and check for at least not in our lifetime so that's where remote viewing becomes more fantastic in nature and there are some writers out there who uh unfortunately have taken it there but there are some respected remote viewers uh one of them i recommend for anyone who's into it his name is joe mcmonagle and uh joe is a very down-to-earth guy and uh you can catch a lot of his stuff on youtube and he tells you like look you got to go out and double track and sometimes you're wrong and then you know the problem with remote viewing or access to these special abilities is that they tend to inflate the ego so that before you know it, the person thinks he's some sort of a prophet and he can tell the future and so and that's not what remote viewing is about that's why it's called a protocol it's not scrying it's not uh it's just a specific sets of practices and, and one of those practices is verification of your target at some point so Joe McMonagle is a great guy. There are others out there that, I, uh, that are not. He's someone. And then I think that applies to almost any field uh, on the cutting edge. There are going to be some miracle workers, some people who really are authentic. And the va- But then, unfortunately, the vast majority just uh, piggy-tailing, and they're really not offering much. So that's, the, that's where critical thinking kicks in. You see, instead of saying, oh, that's all hogwash, remote viewing, that's, come on. Or, or just being one of those who embraces anything, is the, the, the harder path is being have a little bit of critical thinking. He said, well, let's explore him. How do I know he's good versus the person who's not? And it takes a lot more work. So, and that's where I sometimes personally run into some differences with some of my other friends who are following one or the other camp into the more literal camp, fundamentalist camp, which is uh, ESP, that's all sci-fi, or... The other camp, well, everything, their UFOs have been visiting us for the last 50,000 years. Everything is a UFO. So you can't really, my book, go with either one because then you make the mistake of falling into a, what are you, a rabbit hole or a reality tunnel. And Philip K. Dick talks a lot about that in his novels, you know. And uh, you got to stay away. You got to be able to at least have the some sort of guardian or someone who will tell you when you're going too deep for your own good and be able to pull out and then so is it critical thinking is, is, is important and and so I think the world is very interesting there are so many things that are happening across the board is but for who those who cannot who are not good who are not use their critical thinking powers it can be a very scary place so I think it's um, a, I think on a good day it's a very scary yeah place. on a good day so but you know I think that the issue is you got at the end of the day you gotta you gotta have trust in some aspect of reality that's uh, more affirming and not don't let the news or some other source tell you oh this is what's gonna happen this is what's gonna happen because they have their everybody has an angle an agenda and um, it's important to step back and not really and, and 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 take it through your own personal experience and make some sort of a uh, assessment. Uh, based upon that. And that's especially true of technology uh, today. For instance, some of the stuff that I've been, this year that I've been reading about, it's smacks of pure sci-fi. Um, for, you know, like one, and I I explore it. Like, for instance, there is one um, uh, group who believes that 
their, the, the, the ultimate goal of the vaccination is to have us link to some sort of satellite that will automatically update our vaccine schedules through some sort of nanobots. And that's why I started really saying, well, hold up a second. Let's really, let's look at the science behind this. It, that might be the case 100 years from now, 50, but I'm not, I'm not sure we're quite there where we can just turn on a switch from 5,000, 10,000 miles and, and activate that. And that's where the imagination runs wild with a person. I mean, I appreciate that kind of thinking. That's very sci-fi-ish, but it's important not to act on it unless you have some really good data to back it up. And, uh, you know, I think people are very susceptible to these things, especially in this day and age where the world seems to be turned upside down. And, and, and there's no, and you cannot blame people for having, taking on certain beliefs. When, and, what you, what you when need the, is what we keep talking about is that level of critical thought. Absolutely. That level of critical thinking. For, for instance, someone who believes in conspiracies might say, you know, as I said, I got friends on both sides of the aisle. I got friends who believe that everything that's happening right now is a is a, it's a security psyop. In fact, even John, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. has been saying that recently. It's a security psyop. And uh, some of my friends are saying, oh, well, we are, uh, this is just, why else, how well, why else would all the governments throughout the world shut down their economies bringing down the whole economy to uh, to their knees. Well, you know, you, you leave out one component. It's a lot. The, the presumption of all these conspiracy theorists is that, hey, these guys are so smart and they, they're always 10,000 steps ahead. And this goes back 700 years to the Illuminati. And But what if you think maybe they're just plain old dumb? They, they're just not as smart and they're not as, <laughs> you know. Never, you know, there's a point to be dumb. made. There's a point to be made there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wish, yeah. I wish I was in Paris this week. I wish I, because I, there are so many good films here that that I want to see. Dan, uh, in in May or March, uh, when things open up in New York uh, for the New York Festival, uh, I'm waiting for my invitation. I'll, I'll make sure I'll you, hit me up direct or I'll send it through Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> some of the films are just for those who are not who are curious about the current programming. I'm going to run it very quickly. So um, one of the films and the program is called Love Bite. And, and that's uh, directed by um, Charles, uh, Charles, Charles Lozarica. And he's the final cut restoration producer of Blade Runner, the final cut, uh, right. the, the final cut meaning. And that's the one that Ridley Scott loves. That's the one that, because I had a chance to uh, speak with him at length a few months back and that, and Ridley was not very happy with the studio version, like most people aren't, <laughs> and, you know, at some point he said, look, this is what I want in my cut. And that's the cut. And it's, it's, and I saw it and we spoke extensively. So he was in charge of, making all the necessary edits and and uh so that really feel that this is the right uh, version uh so he's directing a film it's called love by it is on the surface is a zombie film but beneath it is more a relationship film and uh, so it, it's very funny it's, it's a great film uh we have a film 
called Beyond the Door, which was uh, uh, based upon one of the few books, one of the few short stories that are still in the public domain by Philip K. Dick. And um, it's also going to be playing there. Of course, we have hashtags that we discussed. Uh, we have a film called uh, uh, High Over Bridgewater, and I always seem to freak for some reason. You know what? This film is a tongue twister for me because it kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, okay, here we go. I, the human condition, wide awake in Bridgewater. For some reason, I keep always thinking, uh, <laughs> thinking of the other Brit, the, the Paul, uh, Simon, and Garfunkel song, you know? I always get mm-hmm. that. But uh, the director of that film is... Um, Worked in the X Files. He worked in the Lone Gunman. He was a uh, at that time a production manager for the group. And uh, he's not, for those who are, who love the X Files and that whole that angle, they will love this 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 film. Then uh, there are a few others. I mean, there uh, there's oh, what we try to do in the programming is pull films from different countries um, that really represent the the themes. That uh, let me see. I'm walking. That are uh, that exist in, in 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 the works of Philip K. Dick, and uh, and and once again from all over Europe, from all over the world. Uh, exactly. Yeah. There's a, a one group of films. There's really one that really stands out. Another one that really, for me, echoes a lot of what I've read of Philip K. Dick, and that's American Quartet, which is also under your uh, the Human Condition, and it really is. It's something it, it talks about, you know, in the near future, a young woman who finds her life at risk, a Muslim American woman who finds her life at risk. I'm reading straight from the description in a small town, digitizes her memories and then shares them with strangers in the hopes that the empathy will help uh, triumph over hate. And that very concept of being able to share your personal experience with somebody else so that they can empathize is something that I sometimes think is lost in this world. And that's why I, when I saw that one on the list, I thought, wow, that one is a really nice movie. It is. And it, the whole movie is made to uh, the, uh, the classical, the was it, it must have been a classical uh, composer, Dvorak. Uh, Anton, uh, let me see if I can see it here. Yes, it's a great film. We, we played it at... Uh, in March, and you know, one thing about our films, uh, we we always very happy to have a good representation too. About this year, we have about 30 to 35 percent of the filmmakers are female, and you know, they're they're up there. I mean, there's no real and and at the end of the day, you just got we believe in talent and we believe in people really showing their very best, and we we have yet to be disappointed. I mean, there really are there's a lot of good stuff out there, and and um. The, the festival really represents various levels. You see, at one point, Philip K. Dick suggests that even in androids, the possibility that at some point hu- uh, machines will be more human than human. And, you know, and that's uh, it's that's definitely, I think I'm looking here at some works here. I'm not sure if I can find one specifically here. I'm looking at the program. But um, we try to explore... Wait, we got one uh, trans. Uh, it's called transport. That transferred. That's uh, dealing with. Uh, it's a little bit like mine in the High Castle and time travel. Um, off the grid has, stars Game of Thrones actor James Cosmo. 
um, dark water. So for those, I would say for those who can find a way of making it to that event, I think they'll be very happy. <laughs> I wish I was there, but um, well, for the rest of us, it remains to be seen how things shuffle out in the U.S. For those of us oh, yeah. in Europe, in France, in Paris, please enjoy us. Shoot us an email. Let you know. Let us know if you got there. Let us know what you like. Uh, uh, let us know uh, what it's like to be in Paris right now, if you can. Meanwhile, Daniel, can't thank you enough for joining us, well, for bringing us like once again the, the wonderful world of the Philip K. Dick Film Festival. Thanks thank so much, you, man. I hope to see you live um, come May of 2021. Sounds like a plan, my friend. Have Thank you so much. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. Oh, the day is red and the fish is dead. Uh, oh, where did it go from there? Ah. Baby eager. And the dust finally settles on a bed full of nettles. Yeah, there you go. Bravo! <laughs> Hooray! Thank you, thank you. Don't forget to tip your wait staff. That was great. <laughs>